You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Outfluencer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, the Outfluencer and your powerful presence mentor. Today is super special. I have a friend joining me. She is a... uh, she is one of the people that I got to see during our TEDx presentations. Uh, so, so a a uh, I'm looking for the word colleague, friend, partner in the TEDx arena. Um, Kate McKinnon is joining me today. She uh, she has an amazing background, and her story is uh, it's something that I think we all need to be paying attention to. She, Kate is a former vice president at JP Morgan Chase. She had worked her way into that position, obviously. I mean, it's not something you just sort of land in. And then she ended up running her own management technology company. And at some point decided that there was little more to what she could bring the world. And she began to help women specifically step into their power and greatness. And somewhere along the way, she also stumbled into uh, and then began studying intently the, the art of feng shui. And she is now a certified feng shui practitioner under the grandmaster. So she, uh, she actually, Kate has actually helped me create my space and there's so much more flow. I was in this little cramped space before I go on and on any further. Welcome Kate to one sharp sword. Welcome. Thank you. Do I get to call you Dr. P? You Dr. P. Dr. P. <laughs> you can call me Wayne. You can call me, you could call me hey Wayne, you. Dr. P. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Great to have you. Uh, so your story, oh my gosh, there's so many lessons that, that any of our audience can take from your journey. And that's the reason I asked you is because, you know, you, you you didn't get into banking by accident, right? You didn't land as a vice president at JP Morgan Chase accidentally. And your bounce happened somewhere along the way. And you became someone who, instead of tracking numbers and, and such the way you did, and people and projects, you're doing it differently in people's lives now. You're you're really making a very big difference in a very different way in people's lives. And I think, I think this journey of transition is something that's going to be really important to share. So talk a little bit about, you know, how'd you get to JP Morgan and then what happened that you decided that "Mm, that just wasn't the right path for you? Well, I, I love this question because there, there is so much to it and you know, really, really starting way back when, um, really when I was, I'm going to go back, I'll start in college, but I, I, um, I, or, or before that, I really, I've always been an artist and, um, 
when I was a kid uh, and I'm looking at school, actually, when I was looking at going to colleges, I, I, I thought I might want to go to art school. I was thinking I wanted to go to Rhode Island School of Design or maybe wanted to be interior design. And my parents actually um, said I should get a liberal arts education. And I think this is common for a lot of artists and, and you know, kind of do art on the side. And, you know, kind of a background to that, I grew up with a professional family. My father was a doctor, my mother was a nurse. And so there was this very sort of traditional idea of careers, if you will. And um, so when I went to college, I went to a really great school. What I didn't know was I went to a school that was a coordinate coordinate college, so men, women. And so I'm of the generation. I went to school in the 70s when it was still sort of early feminism. And what I didn't know was I was a feminist probably from a little kid. I had three older brothers. I had to kind of speak up. I had to, I played football with them. I had to play softball better. I had to be, I had to do everything sort of bigger and better than them. I was the the, the youngest of the three older brothers. And um so when I went to college, it was in an environment where it really encouraged young women in leadership roles. Um, I took advantage of all the, the courses and um, I became a major, actually, which is one of my big interests in oh, learning. A what major? A psychology major. Oh, okay. And I, yeah, and I minored in art and um, women's studies. I didn't officially, but I took courses, a lot of art courses and women's studies. And when I graduated, I thought I was going to be, you know, I was at the time, like, this is pre-technology, right? As we know it, where it's like, go into a library, open a book and say, what do you want to be? And so I went down a list and I said, well, either a psychologist, because I was trained for that. And I was ready to go to graduate school or a dean, because I was very admiring of the dean of my college. And my first job was in Barnard College in their admissions office. And they literally, that first year, I was the receptionist. And I thought I wanted to be an admissions counselor. They um, brought in, it, it was an IBM System 6. It was an early word processor, but it was like a computer word processor. And I was the backup operator. And when they put me onto the computer, I've, I had an aptitude. I didn't know I had an aptitude for technology. I see things in multi dimensions, and I love the idea of data and, and you know merging text and data. And they took me off the front desk. They said, "You're a great receptionist. We're going to put you on this." And I always say I learned everything I ever knew about technology from that experience. I learned conceptually. I'm a very conceptual, process oriented learner, and. Um, this was, I'm, I would say I'm a Stephen Jobs age, you know, Bill Gates. So this was early technology. And I decided then that, oh, it's in New York City. I'm not going to be a dean. I'm not going to be uh, a, a psychologist. I discovered commercial arts. So I uh, explored graphic arts and I freelanced as a graphic artist and a word processing operator. It was very, very successful. And so I got to explore all these different companies I worked for, but a company that hired me um, to be a, a work processing operator, um, I had this boss that turned out to be, a, she was a great mentor. She saw in me things that I didn't see in myself. She saw I had aptitude. So I have math, I have science, I have, I'm a very sort of left brain, right brain, whole brain person. And she just kept saying, do you know what a uh, feasibility study is? I'd say, no. She goes, okay, you're going to learn it. Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do a project plan? Do you know how to do it? So on this word processing uh, uh, computer that I was working on, I said, you know, this should really be on a 
regular computer. And she said, okay, well, we're going to have you um, migrate it from this word processor to a computer. And so everything I learned was on the job. And I thought I was going to work for her forever. And it, after seven years, she said, you know, Kate, um, you're not going to grow any further here. She goes, you need to be working for a bank. Bank. Basically, I was a business assistant analyst before they had a name for it. She goes, banks hire people like you. She said, you have the communication skills and you have the technical skills. And she said, you're very creative. And she saw for me. So I, I say that because having a mentor like her was key in all of this because she saw it. She gave me opportunities. I mean, I learned how to fix computers. They had me, you know, I was in a legal department. They had me bring in the Nexus Lexus and make recommendation for software. And they just gave me all these opportunities that I had no idea because I was of the generation. So here I was a young woman in technology. When I applied for jobs, they were basically, um, you know, we need an assistant or we need this. And I said, well, I, I didn't study, go to college to become an assistant. I, you know, I have so much more to offer. And so it took me about a year, but Chase was looking for someone like me. And when something's right, I mean, literally went for the interview. They were like, you're exactly what you're looking for. We're looking for. And so in 1988, they hired me. And um, I just had this amazing experience where I was on some wave, right? Like technology really started taking off. And I just kept giving, being given opportunities. And very often, this is an important part of my story too, about the women piece, because very often I was the only woman in the room. Um, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite stories because, you know, I worked with a lot of men in technology and women too, but mostly men. And, uh, you know, at one point I was at a, a staff meeting and my boss looked at me and I don't know where this came from. I feel like it came from like, you know, maybe three years old on. I just knew it. He was going to tell a joke. And I looked at him and I said, if you have to think twice about telling a joke, don't tell it. And they all got, all the men got all uncomfortable. Like I knew he was going to make some sexist joke. Right. And, um, and he just, he, he got, he looked a little shame and he stopped. I never, in all my experience with all that, I just, there must've been something about me that just like said, don't even go there with me because I, in all the years I had great relationships, smart men, engineers, um, and I loved it. So that part of me that's a science mathematician loved it, but there was always this part of me that was still looking for the artist in me. Like, where can I, even though this was a very creative way of being and being in business and learning banking, I mean, I didn't know anything about banking, but I learned it all on the job. I did, you know, I learned the business. Um, somewhere in there, I was still looking for that creative thing and always working with coaches. I've worked with coaches almost my entire career. And at one point, um, I tell this story in a talk I did recently. I think that you, you heard this in the talk that um, I was working with a coach and she asked me, what I thought about at seven when I went to sleep at night. And, and this is after I'd done textile design. I'd done a lot of different art things along the way. And she said, you know, when you were seven, what did you think about at night? And I said, rearranging people's homes and buying furniture for my best friend's dollhouse. And she was the one who actually said, so this is like mid-career, right? She said, have you ever heard of feng shui? And I said, I had not. And, she, and I was planning a business trip. And she said, why don't you take a bus tour of Hong Kong? I was going on a bus to Hong Kong. 
And she said, look at it through the eyes of feng shui, which I did. And I just got it. Like, I just got it. And something called to me and I listened. That's all I can say. It was a very powerful, transformational experience. I came home and again, it wasn't really here in the West that much. I was like trying to find where I could study. And I finally found a school with a grandmaster, his holiness grandmaster, Professor Lin Yun, who was teaching a program. And um, so at the beginning of 2000, I studied it. So I was still in my, at that point, I had been an employee of Chase and then I became a consultant and they kept hiring me back. And then I went back as an employee and finally led in, um, actually almost now, almost four years ago, I, three to four years ago, I decided it was time to retire officially from my corporate job and go do what I'm really passionate about. So I love my career. You know, I had a great career in technology. I love my career. Great experience. Chase is an amazing company to work for. And it was time for me to go on my own and start. I've been doing feng shui for 20 years, but really go on my own full-time online. And um, that's where I am today. That's pretty amazing. The yeah. Just the whole kind of evolution of... Kate, you know, it's like, um, and you said some key things that I want to, I want to just highlight, which is one, you paid attention to your gut, you know, uh, there was the thing you were supposed to do, which pretty much aligned with the things that you wanted to do, which was awesome, right? A lot of times there's a sense for so many people that that, you know, there's the supposed to, and then there's the really like, well, I'm aching to be bigger. I'm aching to do more. The good news also, I think, is that you did something that is really smart that most, most people come to too late, um, not too late, but, but late. And it's never too late to get a coach, right? To get a mentor, to, ask for perspective. And I think that that's really important too, that you can't see your own life the way that someone else can. It's why the highest performing athletes have four to six coaches each, you know, they're each looking at something different, the highest level performers. I know I've worked with, I've worked with uh, senior vice presidents in multi-billion dollar companies. And it's for the sake of what can you see that I can't see so that I can be better. And so for you to step in and go, well, I've always had mentors. It's like, that's awesome. I've always had coaches. I've always sought the outside, uh, the outside view that helps you grow. And you're, you're so good at that. You know, you've been able to do that. So I just, I wanted to call those things out that that's really propelled you. And then, you know, for, (laughs) for you to have your own voice and to not be afraid to share it, I think, that's been amazing too. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've had, uh, let's talk resilience, right? Because you, you, you know, what you just painted as a picture of growth and development and, and everything else along the way was like, well, and I was encouraged to do this and well, you know, I was, I was riding this wave of, learning everything new that was coming out and that's exciting and nobody's life is easy a hundred percent of the time in fact it's 
through the struggle that we find our strength. And if you, if you could talk about some of the places where you found the biggest lessons in your life, um, that's where you know, the, the listening audience of One Sharp Sword, when we cut through to what matters most, it's like, okay, there was all this noise around me. There was all this disruption around me. In fact, darn it, I was the one that was causing it myself. And when we come to that, that's where the power comes, right? That's when we go, oh, I am reclaiming my power. So can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges you had and, and what you did to overcome them and, um, and how that's made you even stronger now, stronger as a, as a feng shui practitioner, stronger as a, as a coach and a guide for others? Um, I'd love to, you know, I know we talked before and I don't always tell this part of my story. So it's a really powerful opportunity um, because I always say everybody has a story and I certainly have one of my own. And so, you know, go back to somewhere I came from, you know, I, I, uh, I did a talk on this a couple of years ago and it was really powerful for me to finally articulate, you know, I, I had, uh, um, I would say that I had a lot of challenges, you know, uh, along the way, um, just the nature of my life where uh, just starting at a year and a half, I had meningitis and loss of hearing in my, my left ear, and which is actually became more apparent as I got older, what it, what that really meant, the, the sort of learning to navigate the world with just one ear. Um, and it's sort of something that's invisible where people can't see it. But, um, and I could, you know, each one of these things I could talk a whole lot about, but I'm going to talk about each one leading up to what to me was the biggest challenge of sort of building on that. And then my mother uh, died when I was four. Um, she died of breast cancer. And, um, you know, it was very traumatic for me because I was there when she, you know, was with her and she, when she collapsed in the water, we were away for the summer. Mm. And, um, you know, my dad put her in the car and took her to the hospital and she died shortly after that. And that was of the generation. Well, they didn't think, you know, tell children about death. And so I didn't know that my mother was not coming back for quite a while. I remember sitting at a Thanksgiving table. This was the summer and sort of saying to my family, when's mommy coming home? And everyone just looked stunned, right? They just looked stunned. And um, so that, that, and then my dad remarried. So that was huge. I don't want to minimize. I'm kind of, kind of go through the steps, but um, that those, those two things alone in my early formative years really uh, have, influence and colored me and and given me so much right it's like challenges but uh there were so many gifts in that and I'll talk a little bit about that afterwards but then I know my dad remarried my sister was born um and I became I had three older brothers at that point then my sister I became like um you know sort of helping my stepmom, you know taking care of my brothers and sisters um my stepmom got uh, sick with cancer when I was 10. So then they relied on me. So I was, um, very, very responsible at a young age. And, um, and I was a good kid. I did what I was supposed to do. I did well in school. Um, I didn't, you know, all those things influenced me. So I didn't always feel that way about myself, but, um, 
it wasn't until uh, when I went to college, my stepmom, the cancer, it turned out was terminal. And it was sort of during my college age, I took time off to kind of help out. Um, and she died while I was home. He literally died in my arms. And, and, um, and my dad, after all this, decided emotionally to abandon our family and get involved with another woman. And so we were kind of like, you know, by the time I was 21, it was a little bit like, you know, what just happened, you know, 21 years into my life. Um, and, you know, people start drinking at college. I started drinking when I was 18, but um, I, I started drinking, you know, I, it, it wasn't a conscious thing, but I started drinking. And what I discovered was I was so angry, you know, I'd been abandoned. I, you know, been, you know, felt tremendous grief, things that I had never really been able to experience as a child when I became a young adult. Um, and I, I heard somebody say this and I feel like, you know, I probably drank to drown my feelings, but I found that they could swim, you know? Mm. Um, and so my twenties were very, even though I had a career, I was talking about it and I was like sort of growing emotionally. Um, I was just so angry, angry, angry and drinking. And um, I, I sort of reached a point in my life at 32. I remember waking up one day and at that time I was married and I was in a bedroom that was just like, you know, dark blue walls, gray floor and a black ceiling. And I felt, I always said it was like a bruise, right? Like I was in a bedroom and I was really like, how did I get here? Like how this young woman with all this promise, right? Like how did I end up here? It just reflected how I felt. There was no light coming. And think about it from a feng shui perspective. There was no light coming in the window. Um, and I always say that I ran out of gas and my battery died and I was empty. And um, my story is about being spiritually bankrupt. I was just empty and I knew I needed help. When you talk about no, there was a point where I knew I needed help and I got help. I just knew that, and my mother died when she was 34. And on some level, they talk about this, psychiatrists and therapists talk about, if you lose a parent at a young age, it's hard to imagine that you're going to live beyond that age. So I think there's a part of me that was sort of hard to imagine. I was even going to live past 34. Right. So at 33, I, I stopped drinking. I got help, um, got a lot of help and started rebuilding my life in a sober way, kind of really sort of growing up emotionally in some ways that I wasn't able to before. Cause I was just so busy taking care of everybody. And then, abandonment and you know anger and uh so that that challenge of really waking up it was a real awakening for me a spiritual awakening to put down alcohol and start living my life like in a what felt like maybe for the first time really grounded and I had a lot of feelings to deal with I had a lot of help a lot of therapy um a lot of people supporting me in this process to really, you know, find out who I really was under all that. So all those things were true, but then there was who's Kate underlying all that? Who's Kate that lost her mother at such a young age? I mean, it's a, it's still, um, it's like one of those things I had a therapist say, at some levels, you never get over losing your parent. It doesn't matter how old you are. Right. Um, 
you know, so um, that that challenge, well, I, and, and P.S., when I did that around the time I did that was right around the time that I started my job at Chase. So, you know, I put down the alcohol. I started this job. I was newly sober in this job thing. Every day, they're going to fire me. <laughs> they're going to find out they're going to fire me. And meanwhile, they thought I was going to quit. Like every time we'd have a conversation, they were afraid I was going to quit. I was afraid they were going to fire me. But it was just because I was so emotionally raw. Even though I could do the work, I yeah. had to grow up in a, in a whole new way, if that makes sense. Well, so, you know what's interesting is, I mean, in your 20s, there's sort of this invincibility and it's sort of like, I'm going to explore everything and I'm going to be invincible. And in your thirties, it's sort of, you're in a space of trying to find out who you are anyway. And as you're coming out of uh, a, a place of using alcohol to somewhat deaden the feelings and now all of those feelings are coming back and you're going, well, how do I sort this out on top of who am I? Um, it's a, it's a very unique place to be plus, right. Uh, you know, you add another decade and it's sort of like in another decade and, and here we are, you know, there's, there's all the, the jokes about uh, adulting, right. And we're supposed to know how to be adults. And it's sort of like, um, the real conversation is you keep trying to figure that out, right? We, we're all still trying to figure that out. What does it mean to be in the world? And so to, to allow yourself to grow into who you wanted to become takes a good amount of fortitude. And I think um, knowing you needed help was a big deal for you. And, and then the next step, getting it, is another big deal. And, you know, you didn't talk about relapses. I don't know your story, whether you had relapses along the way. Um, so many people do when they make that decision, you know, I'm done with alcohol. <coughs> You're shaking your head, no, <laughs> you didn't. Um, so, so, you know, you, you found a path and yours has been one where you find a path and you go, this is congruent for me. This is who I am. Awesome. That's what you grow into. So, um, so it allowed you to sort of become Kate the adult as you worked your way into a very adult job in banking. And then, you know, only recently, I didn't know it was only recently that, you know, the past four years that you uh, shifted from that role entirely. So, wow. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I just want to say one thing about that because it's, it is really important to me that that whole idea of, of um, growing up. And, and the, the, the thing that I want to say that was true for me, sort of that moment of clarity, I would say, like, what is that moment where you have kind of the one sharp sword, right? Is, is I, when I made the choice to stop drinking, it was like choosing, I knew I was choosing life over death. It was that dramatic for me. Mm. I knew if I kept going, I was killing myself. I just knew it. And at some point I, it was like, um, you know, you see it in movies and stuff like, no, I don't want to die. I want to live. Like there was a point where I knew I had more that I wanted to do. And I wanted to do that more than just succumb. Do you know what I mean? On some levels, yeah, I want to underscore just, that. Let me just underscore that. Yeah. Right. Like, 
I knew I wanted to do more than just succumb is a gigantic statement. And, and I want to, I, I think it's so important that at any point and for the audience, as you're listening to this, just recognize there's more in you. And so the question of, are you succumbing to the supposed to's? Are you giving in to tolerating certain things that are in your life that you're just going along to get along? Because at some point you recognize, no, you know what? There's more in me and I can't have more or be more. I can't do more. I can't serve more greatly if I continue down the path I've been on. I need to cut this part away, which is the one sharp sword. And the idea, by the way, just as a reminder, the one sharp sword is so much better than 10,000 dull blades, right? Mm -hmm. With one sharp sword, it's a really clean, quick cut through to what matters most. That's what a decision is about. And when you make that decision, it's magical because the rest of your life opens up. Yeah. Yeah, it, it absolutely did. And um, it, it, I, I used to say too, you know, there was, I sort of realized at a certain point in my life, there's a statue of limitations. Like I can't spend the rest of my life blaming my parents from how my life had turned out that I had to take responsibility. It was like, this is my life. It's not anybody else's life. And if I was going to live the life I wanted to live, I had to stop blaming everybody. And that was a huge, huge part and part of it was I had to then, uh, as part of my own recovery, have conversations with people um, about that, you know. And, uh, you know, I had this interesting conversation with my dad who used to sort of invalidate my experience. And, and, and at one point, and I sort of had the awareness, but then it's like you have the awareness, but then the challenge shows up where you get like, how, how committed are you? And so I have this awareness that my dad and I were going to have the same conversation because I now understand as an adult, he made a choice to marry something to be our mother to bring us up because thank God I had my stepmother, but it was not easy because there was a lot of um, minimizing my experience of having lost my mother in order to sort of protect his choice of Mary, my stepmother, who who raised us and, and did an amazing job, but it but there was never the allowance to say, yeah, but I lost my mother, right? No, there was no room for that. Like you have a mother. It's like, no, but I lost my mother. And right. so my dad used to sort of every time I would say something that he felt in any way threatened his choices, he would just minimize. And, and one day, as I was going through this process. Um, I actually had this conversation that was life-changing, like talk about stepping into being an adult. My dad, once again, you know, one holiday said, oh, you know, you always, uh, he said, you always made your your mother like the, the fairy godmother and, you know, you made your stepmother the wicked stepmother. And 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 I remember like sitting there, like sinking in going, here we go again. And I, I had this moment we'd been visiting my brother and we were driving home in the car and I could just feel myself sinking into the seat. And I got home and I went into the bathroom and I looked, I mean, it was like, it was like my life pain, like right there, like happening. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, you could drink, you could kill yourself or you could pray. And I prayed and I didn't know what was going to come out of that, but I said, you're going to now go have a conversation with your father about this and I went and I said, you know, dad, I mean, I didn't, I don't even know where I got these words from. I said, you know, dad, that conversation we just had, 
He goes, yeah. I said, the one we've been having our entire life? He goes, yeah. I said, well, we're no longer going to have it anymore. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I said, my experience is my experience and your perception of my experience is yours, but that doesn't make you right. And he said, well, but I'm your father. And of course I'm right. I said, well, no, actually you're not. You're my father, but my experience is my experience. And he was like flabbergasted. And, and then it led to this amazing conversation, by the way. And out of that conversation, my father and I never had that conversation again. And we ended up having an amazing relationship that it changed because it was that point of being like that. I was able to, I don't know. I always say, I don't know where that came from. Again, these things always feel like they come from my toes up, but it was like, we're not having this conversation anymore. And he was a crusty old coot, by the way, you know, but I love my dad and I learned to have a very different adult relationship with him. And that, that to me was like the miracle of all this, like to get to that point where I could say, no, we don't agree. Just because you're my parent or my father doesn't make you right. You know? So there was very, very powerful stuff in all of that. So I just, I want, I, I love that. To share that. Please. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's awesome because it is a common theme. And I think uh, for those that have not yet stepped in to do this, there's a crucial conversation you haven't had yet. Right. And, and so this is the encouragement because what Kate just said was that when she dared to have the conversation about what's right for her, Right. That her father has a perception. Awesome. It's his. Other people have perceptions. Awesome. That's theirs. When you dare to declare what's true for you, your life changes. Your life changes. And, and Kate, you said that you didn't have that conversation ever again. Never had to come up because you, you tore through the veil of, well, this is the way it's supposed to be sort of this whisper of, you know, well, it's, you know, we don't talk about that. It's like, well, this is my experience. Of course we talk about it. This is my experience. I own this. Nobody can take that from me. And it's like, you stood in your power at the, at that point. And it wasn't angry. It didn't sound like it was an angry conversation the way you defined, described it. It was just you making a declaration. And, and I think so often when we think about, you know, I'm going to tell the world what I believe, it sounds like it has to be some angry outburst. And it's not. It's a matter of, hey, you know what? You're allowed to think what you think. And I'll think what I think. And just understand that they may be different. And it's like, that's awesome. It opens the world to you. That's awesome. You're listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with Dr. Wayne Purnell. Liking what you're hearing? For a quick dose of Dr. P in your email, you'll love the Wednesdays with Wayne weekly blog. Go to www.waynepurnell.com blog to sign up. That's www.waynepurnell.com dot com slash blog and look around the website there are a ton of resources there for you including the download of dr p's number one best-selling book the significance factor www.waynepurnell.com slash blog and now back to one sharp sword 
Cutting through to what matters most with Dr. Wayne Purnell. Talk a little bit, if you would, about um, uh, how you're helping women into their greatness a little bit more now. And also, boy, the, the just the world that, you know, I got to step into with you that really changed the way I look at my business just by changing my environment. So if you could talk about feng shui, because um, it, it's kind of incredible just to step into my workspace and smile when I step into this room now, it's really great. So, um, you know, I always loved what I did. Now it's like, I love where I do it. And it's really great. So uh, talk, talk a little bit about what you're up to now and, and, if there are some tips that you can give to the audience that, you know, the, some are listening, some are viewing this, um, just some ideas about what to be looking for. And, and how about this as a prompt, what's a bagua anyway? <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, it makes me so happy and that, that you're, you know, I can just see sort of, you know, from the, the work that you've done, we work together, but you do the work that um, I can just sort of, I can see how it just kind of has to open things up for you. It's really lovely. Um, so yeah, talk, talk a little bit about um, feng shui for people who don't know exactly what it is. Uh, feng shui is the um, ancient Chinese art and science of placement. Uh, used to create harmony and the flow and balance of positive energy in one's home. It's really any environment. And just a little quick history. So uh, literally means wind water, uh, which represents flow balance, what we call life force, chi, uh, life force or chi energy. And it's been around for thousands of years. It was first started by... Um, first with the first homes and farms to select land, uh, uh, really land abundant in water, you know, light, food, and all the things to sustain and support life and provide protection and safety. And, um, but I, and again, I did a talk recently on this where um, our space, it, it actually reflects who we are. So I would say our map, our home is a map of who we are, which people kind of are blown away by, but um, it's true that that the and I quote the the uh, psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who said, "Our homes are a symbolic mirror of our inner self, of our unconscious wishes and desires." So when I'm working with people, we in feng shui have what's called a bagua map uh, that has been around, you know, for a long time, and the sort of underlying purpose is it allows me, it's a tool to analyze your space um, and be able to determine how to best balance the energy in the same way that, you know, originally it was about picking, picking land that had, you know, really, you know, the things that sustain us. It's looking at your home and looking at the energy and, and the elements in it to make sure that it's supporting you, right? You're, it's aligning with what you want in your life. It's aligning with sort of where you want to go in life. And so we're in a, and sometimes a very literal sense and sometimes a very uh, sort of figurative sense, bringing in that life force energy from outside into your home and supporting you. So feng shui is all about 
shifting and aligning energy to support you in your life and, and really having you align with who you are. You know, I talk about the true North, like you align with your true North. Um, so I call it coming home to yourself. So when people feel good in their space, it's, it's because the space reflects them and they reflect the space. And there is this beautiful alignment energetically, everything that's we've sort of shifted in your environment is supporting you in being really what I call your best self, um, stepping into your power and greatness, right? Um, and I, and I sort of being free. Real, I, wanna, I wanna point something out real quick. And it is, yes. uh, by the time this episode comes out, it will be a few weeks past our recording. I will say that as you're talking about energy and foundation and release. Uh, I am here in Northern California and we just experienced an earthquake. So <laughs> it is, it is uh, very interesting. I'm sitting here and I'm like, <laughs> no way. Oh my God. Yeah. So I just, um, it's very funny. It's like, bah, 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 bah. okay, here we go. So, yeah. So there you go. I have to think about that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we yeah. can have a whole conversation about wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. But, yeah. So loving yeah. the release of energy right here, boom, in the Bay Area. Um, I'll yeah. look up I'll look up when and, and where. Um, but it's you know I'm sure uh, all right. Oh yeah. 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 I mean it's part of Northern California. It's part of what we do here. Uh, yeah. Ride it out. Um yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So what you did with me in my space, like you talk about, you know, your home reflects your, uh, your home reflects who you are, your, your, right. uh, like the space you live reflects who you are. So, uh, you know, as you're listening to this, as you're watching this, uh, uh, think about the main space that you live in. You know, is it your workspace? Is it your living room, your family room? Is it the kitchen? Like, think about that. And here's what happened for me with Kate was um, when I uh, was introduced to the idea of doing feng shui, I, I had a moment of panic. Like, oh my gosh, the entire house? I don't even know how to do that. Like, there's so much that I need to fix and clean up and move. And, and it's like, oh. <laughs> that may be a little lesson. And so to focus back on, all right, let's start with a space. Let's start with one space. And it's the space that I spend the most part of my day in. And the way I had my desk oriented, the uh, kinds of things that I allowed to accumulate, um, what I see every day, it's like, it's so different now than, than what it was. And so when I come to my workspace, I come in a space of power now. I come to my workspace with direction and intent. Um, I come to it with love and laughter. And all of that is balanced. And it's so good versus, it, it feels like flow versus force, right? There's the whole concept of power versus force. And there's this power that flows when you allow it. And I think that is, that is so huge, right? That that's, that's part of the, 
the chi-ness, right? The, that's part of the chi that, that flows, chi or, or ki in Japanese, right? So, um, so are there immediate things? Like I'm, I'm looking at our timing here and I'm thinking, you know, um, are there, in the, in the next couple of minutes, are there some key to-dos that our, that our listeners can actually make use of? Like if they were to yeah. fix one, two, three things in their, in their workspace, in their homes, what should they be looking for? Right. Um, so let's sort of give a context and then give three tips because yes, the answer is yes. Um, and to your point, I just want to kind of build a little bit off your, your point. So for me, space is space is space is space. So it could be your desk, right? It could be your room. It could be your house. It could be your lot. Um, it could be your office. Uh, so that's why very often we say it's, you know, it's a, the, we talk about it in terms of your environment so that it could be any number of things. So people come like you where you could be doing someone's whole home and it sounds overwhelming, but when we work together, it's like you get a plan. Like you're not just like left on your own, as you know, like uh, get a plan. Um, so it becomes very practical and concrete. And I think that's one of the things that I love about feng shui is that there's this whole energetic under undercurrent very real because we're surrounded by energy. So we're balancing the energy in our environment, but the things that you're actually doing are very concrete. So um, uh, what I would say, and we'll, we'll, we'll choose the office, but it could be any environment is so, you know, and I'll talk about a couple of things that we did for you that I would say to anybody, right. If they were setting up a home office or even where they, you know, at, at this point, a lot of people aren't working in, uh, office buildings, they're working at their home. But um, so there's the, uh, the first thing is, uh, I would always say clutter, right? Like very concrete. The, the most basic thing that we say to people, I say to people is, you know, we, we, we collect stuff, but we don't realize that things have their own energy and they actually block us from having what we want. And so not knowing what to do or, not, you know, being afraid of letting something go or throwing it out or you don't have a place to put it, it actually creates blocked energy. And you kind of almost sort of feel like you're barricaded in sometimes, like your body physically, like, do you know what I mean? Your shoulders go up. You kind of don't want to go over that area. You're a little bit like a pretzel. Like, you know, you have no, like where you just said, you go like this now, like, you know, it's amazing. Right. But that's not always the case. Like when you have all that stuff, it's like, oh, I have to step around it. And so that's actually stuck energy. People don't realize it's like, well, it's just things, but it's actually not. And so so this is a little bit of Marie Kondo, who she, people always talk about her to me, it's interesting, but the idea of tiding is that she started because her mother did feng shui and she said her mother never really looked at the clutter and she felt like the clutter was the most important part. And I would agree with her, like, those are things that you can do now and start, the new year is a perfect time, right? Like to say, I'm going to take one space and I'm going to just start cleaning it out one drawer at a time. I always say do one drawer at a time, right? Like one piece at a time, one cupboard at a time. If you get motivated, do more, but you'll start feeling the energy moving. And I know people feel this when they say, 
I feel so virtuous because I cleaned out a drawer in my kitchen, right? You know, but there's actually an energetic thing happening where it feels good because you've just unblocked energy in your home. So, um, so we'll start with the home office. Like if you have a space where you're working, I always say organize your stuff, right? Uh, if you have a desk you're working, you bring it out when you're working so you have clarity. You know, you're not bringing everything out. You don't have everything on your desk. And when you're done, you put it away. And, oh, yeah, it's a perfect time, tax time. A lot, this is a perfect time to, like, start, like, going through your papers and organizing your papers, getting rid of papers, right? This is all sort of clearing the clutter, which not only releases energy, but you get clarity. It was so, so hard for me. Tip number one. That. <laughs> it was, that was so hard. Like I am one of those who, uh, there are different books that talk about clutter, right? And I'm, I'm one of those where if I can't see it, like if it's put away, I'm not going to work on it, right? And so for a very long time, I, uh, and I, I think I inherited this from my dad, like, He'd have piles and piles and piles. He'd have this massive executive desk, but you couldn't see any of it. Like everything was just piles of papers that he was going to get to. Um, and, and so for me, like if I couldn't see it, I wasn't working on it. And now it's very different. Like I love being able to have space uh, and choose what I'm working on, right? Being really deliberate. My calendar is mine and and so i use it to plan and from that my calendar then just will tell me what i need to bring out in a given time right and then i can put it back away so i think that's that's one of the ways like you don't have to go through and go oh my gosh i've got so much clutter it's it is it's take a space and go well where could i put this that if i really wanted to i could bring it back out yeah. Right. And that's a perfect, I love that. That's a perfect example. Right. It's like, you know where it is to go get it. You may have to go through a couple of things to say, what is it I'm going to work on today? Bring it out when you're done, put it away. And I say this too, at this time, you know, during the, the pandemic, it's a little time sensitive, but I think it's still a good um good way of working where a lot of people are working at home and they're using other things that are not their home office, right? They might not even have a home office or working at the dining room table. They're working in the bedroom, which we'll talk about that in a minute, but that, um, you know, you don't want that stuff out all the time. Then you create a place where it's like, that's where you work for why you work. And then you put everything away and then you have your dining room table as your dining room table. And that's, huge that just that simple act makes a big difference too it's just a it's a way of of being with your stuff instead of just leaving it out because that's where you last left it. it's like no pick it up and so I say everything has a place and every place has a thing like just figure out where you're going to put it it's where you go put it away you bring it out you know where it is you go you can go find it that's really big um the, the other thing that I wanted to say too, which your, your office is a perfect example, you, that you have, um, so this is now about um, uh, what we call the commanding position, like giving you, empowering you, like you have a wall behind you. Think about that. Like you have a wall 
your wall has your back, right? Like it empowers you by having what we call the command position. And again, when I did that before with the clutter, I used to work in these workstations where you, um, like you're sitting looking in and you can't see anyone coming. And by the way, because I'm deaf in one ear, I get startled because I don't hear people coming and then suddenly they're there. And so I'd have this like, if people laugh, but it's like, I couldn't help it. You know, like I didn't see you coming, but I was also sort of sitting there hunkering down. You want to be able to work and be open. And if, if you're in a place where you can have a wall, where you have it supporting you, where you basically want to be able to see the door where people are coming, right? You want to see people coming towards you. Then it's something we did for you too. We create a mirror. So you can be sitting, have that great, beautiful wall behind you, but then you have a mirror where you can actually see, this is a real feng shui cure, by the way, you can actually see the doorway and you can see people coming in. That is so powerful. Just that alone Um, so we're empowering you, we're creating clarity. And then what I love is you have it behind you, but, um, one of the, the, one of the great air purifiers and one of the great things of bringing nature into your space is having plants. No, this is a perfect time of year. I have, I have four in this room. You can only see one. So there's, there's one up on my, um, on my professional space. There's one in my yes. fire space uh, right. and there's one in my love space. So it's, uh, I, so I have them around me and it's, it's great. Right. So, so okay. in this, you can see one that is behind me. Um, but I also have three that are in front of me that I can see. And also, you know, the yeah. greenery just makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing I wanted to add, because if you're working in a workspace like you and I, this, I have like tips I hand out about workspaces and stuff like that. But um, this is this sounds some of the stuff sounds so obvious, but so important. So when we're looking at an office space. The, the two things that I just said were really important, but also um, have a good chair. Have a good chair, right? Like really have like where you're working, if you can have a chair that really supports you. And I will, I always laugh at myself because I'm also just as guilty as other people to do things that I know better. And when I went from, when I um, transitioned from working in corporate to home where I, you know, I had like ergonomically set desk, computer, chair and everything. And I came home, um, I was building my website within the first year. And I was working on a laptop instead of a monitor. And I was just sort of like hunkered down. I hurt my back because I didn't have the proper chair. I was doing, I I just didn't pay attention, right? I was just working, working, working long hours. So when you're working, it's important to have, again, the same way you have the wall to support you, you have a chair to support you and that you have, you know, you're sort of aware of how you're using your computer and take breaks, right? Um, things that you need to do to take care of your body while you're working. But the chair is really important. Your chair and desk, of course, but your chair where you sit is really important in terms of getting the proper support while you work. This is awesome. So support, uh, foundation, uh, energy flow. And it's all about, it's all about what makes you feel better. And I love that. I love that. Um, let's, let's wrap up. What, uh, what final tip or tips might you have? And, 
if people want to know more about you and the work you do and, um, you know, where can they find you, Kate? Um, so final tips are so many. I, I would, I would, I'm going to say two things. I do say this to people when I work with them, um, that listen to yourself because, um, I believe, and I see it that on some level, you know, when you're not comfortable, you know, when something doesn't feel right, you think you're second guessing yourself to really start trusting that knowingness, if you will, that inner knowingness, because we're surrounded by energy and we can feel its vibes, whether we know it consciously or unconsciously. And very often when I tell people to move something, they go, I knew I should have moved that. (laughs) They just didn't move it. So I encourage people to really sort of really start tuning into themselves because on some level they probably already know. Um, And that I want to say, I know this is coming out in a couple of weeks, but um, in, in feng shui, everything we do is with intention. So what, what, so if you want to sort of create, uh, you know, you're thinking about what you want to create for the year, you're thinking about what you want to bring into your life for the year, to really think about, um, think about it with intention, saying, because um, we say intention is everything that, uh, you know, my, um, you know, my clients that I, you know, my, my clients that I serve who are perfect me and I'm perfect for them are here for me now. Right. Like, and have that intention. And it's, it's so powerful just to kind of say that clarity. Um, so I do everything with intention, by the way. So I encourage people, if you, you have a goal, or if you're thinking about the year and what you want your year to look like to, to, to do it with intention and you write it down, write it as if it already exists, experience it and visualize it. And it has a way of showing up in your life. You may not know what it looks like, but um, so intention is sort of my final tip. You know, these are things, these are mindset things, but a really, really important part of not just moving and placing, but having the mindset. So I will leave that with you. I'll leave that with you. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. So uh, listen to yourself and, and, is huge because so often it's like, well, listen to myself later right now. I need to get this done. And it's like, (laughs) no, no, listen to yourself now um, because that may take you on a different path or it may actually help you on the path you're on to get done what you need to get done and then do everything with intention. I'm a big fan of that to be deliberately, actively, positively engaged and uplifting to do everything with with intention is huge. If people want to reach you, Kate, how do they do that? Yeah, so the the best way is um, my website, which is uh, Kate, uh, K-A-T-McKinnon, M-A-C-K-I-N-N-O-N dot com. Um, I will have uh, available for you. I have what I call my feng shui nine tips, which I like to provide people, um, which would be, you know, again, Kate-McKinnon.com. forward slash one sharp sword. Um, And so it's nine tips that you can bring into your life and it will build on some of the things we've spoken about. And then I will offer one other thing. I do have a webinar if people are interested in learning about feng shui. Um, And it's, um, it's, you can find it. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash feng shui home reset. Um, and 
you'll be able to, uh, sometimes people are interested in learning more and how do you apply it in your own life? So I like, I encourage people to do it. It's, it's a great webinar. It's wealth of information. It has workspace information and things that we've talked about. So that's awesome. I will have those links in my uh, show notes that accompany this katemckinnon.com kate-mckinnon.com and I'll make sure that uh, that it is spelled correctly forward slash one sharp sword. Imagine that. Uh, you're going to get the feng shui. The I always pronounce it wrong because of the way it's spelled. Feng, feng shui. I know it's feng shui. Feng shui. I, I, like, uh, I like the way you say it though. It's feng shui. <laughs> it's feng shui. Yeah. Feng shui. I, I've been yes. saying shui all this time, right? So Feng shui. Right. It's a like, common, it's a common, yeah. Here yeah. we go. So feng shui, nine tips. Uh, that's available for you. And then the uh, bit.ly feng shui home reset is, I will also have that link. That's awesome. Kate McKinnon has been my guest on One Sharp Sword. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Wayne. It really has been great. I just adore you. And it's just so great to be in your space. And I just, it's been an amazing conversation with you. Thank you. I just, I thank feel like you're so welcome. I feel like we could have gone on and on and on. So yeah, so great. Thanks, Kate. All right. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. Thanks for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most without Fluxer, Dr. Wayne Purnell. For more information, please go to onesharpsword.com.